Welcome to episode 37 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'm interviewing a man who endured a rather traumatic childhood, where he was disowned by his parents, and the family's food was kept locked away. As a result, he brought a lot of insecurity and anxiety issues into adulthood. Mike Forrester's story isn't all warm and fluffy. Because of his anger and insecurity, Mike almost lost his marriage and destroyed relationships with his children. Fortunately, Mike was working with some men whose lives were vastly different from his, and he wanted what they had. After swallowing his pride and overcoming fear to talk about his life with others, Mike experienced a transformation. He saved his marriage and restored healthy relationships with his children. His life was on the right track. However, when Mike turned 50, that's when his heart came alive after years of being dormant and just going through the motions of life. After losing his job in information technology, Mike started coaching men regarding life issues and helping them overcome their own anxiety, fear, and depression. To tell us his transformational story after turning 50, please welcome Mike Forrester to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are now, and what you did before you turned 50. It's an honor to be here, Greg. Thank you. I'm Mike Forrester. I'm a men's transformation coach, podcast host of the Living Fearless Today podcast, and then also as far as we're getting ready to launch an internet radio station called mensmentalhealth.fm. So as you can tell, my passion is helping men to uh, grow, specifically within overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression, the things that nearly destroyed my marriage, my relationship with my four children that are now adults. I'm in Wichita, Kansas, so I'm in the middle of everything. <laughs> so if I want to go for barbecue, it's three hours north to Kansas City. If I want to go to art, I can go down to Oklahoma City, I have a couple of different options. And so this is where I landed after having gone through the 2008 market, mm -hmm. everything there being laid off, came out here and began the transformation, the change from being in IT into coaching and focusing on men. So that was for me, that happened a little bit before I would say I turned 50, but that was when my heart came alive, Greg, when I knew without a shadow of a doubt, this is what I'm here to do because there was such a change within myself, within my marriage, the relationship with my, my children, I changed everything changed. So my, you know, hobbies, I love barbecue, getting people together to have time together, friends, family. And I am without a doubt, I am that grandpa that spoils the kids. My kids will look at me and go, you never let me get away with that. When I was a kid, absolutely not. My grandchildren are angelic. You weren't. <laughs> I'm the stereotypical grandpa as well. That's right. I know I've done the same thing. My kids look at me and they go, what? When did this come about? We were never allowed to do this kind of thing. And it's, I just love spoiling the grandkids because my kids grew up without grandfather. And mm. my father died when I was a teenager and my wife's father drowned during a family camping trip when she was an early teen as well. So my kids never experienced that relationship. And it's so important, I think, for grandfathers to be involved with their grandkids. You can't have impact without contact. 
Yeah, that's so true. My parents were around, they were alive, but it wasn't a healthy situation. Coming from the background that I had with childhood trauma and just the unhealthiness of the relationships there, being disowned and distanced and told negative stuff, they did not have the relationship with the grandparents because the grandparents decided there's nothing wrong with us. I'm like, actually, there is. We're all doing work on ourselves. If you choose not to, then, hey, I need to put up a boundary not only for myself, but also to protect my children because I was dangerous enough at the time. I didn't need any external help in teaching them unhealthy habits and behavior patterns. They were alive, but they weren't involved. And then now at this point they've passed and it's just one of those of, I can appreciate it. And man, having grand, being a grandparent and having grandparents involved makes a total just paradigm shift in, in the lives, both of our children and the grandchildren. Exactly. So you came out of the IT field, but were laid off during the great recession and then jumped into coaching right from that. Yes, I was in IT. I was not in a place where I was strong enough to step out at that point. I was still healing, growing. And so I, for a few years after that, I think it was 2009, probably went back to being employed. That was a move in and of itself, relocating to get into a job, work that for a few years, then took a, a brave step into consulting, which was fear racking because it's, oh my gosh, now I don't have the security of a paycheck, which isn't really security because <laughs> right. we can be laid off. As I was going through that, then I was focused on growing my business. And as I was looking at how do I better market my business, I began to see things differently where it's like, I'm coming on site. So if I came to your team, Greg, I'm not just looking at the IT perspective. I was looking at how do I jump in and join hands to equip and, and empower like your team and you. And it was like, wow, this is really not normal, but it was absolutely needed and very welcome because I was having conversations and relationships with like your staff that they normally wouldn't come to you just because of our expectation in the hierarchy management kind of thing. I was able to come in as a safe person. And so it was like, wait a minute. I love doing this and I've seen the difference in my family. Why would I not do this full time? So I started making the shift and testing the water. Cause I was still like, wow, this is a different way to go about it. Sharing the story was still nervous because it's, oh my gosh, you went through all of that. Yeah. I thought it was normal. Sorry, <laughs> you know, but it, but it was one of what are people going to think? How are they going to react? And is my family okay with it? And fortunately they were, and they backed me because of the changes that they had seen within how we reacted with each other. And yeah, it was over a longer period of time. It wasn't just like a quick snap transition. So when did you decide to focus on helping men? That was probably six years ago. I would say that shift started to occur, began testing the waters seeing how did things go. Before that, I had already been involved in helping missionaries when they were coming back from being on the field to re-enter if they, if, let's say they were in Nicaragua or 
Kenya, somewhere like that. They're coming back to the U.S., helping them process and re-enter what life in the U.S. is like. So that was already something I was involved in. The whole idea of compassion, listening, helping somebody to walk through something that was unfamiliar or uncomfortable was something that, you know, I'd been doing almost a decade before that. So that was that shift to say, you've done this in your spare time. This is already your heart. Why would you not want to do it full time? I don't know. What are people going to think? There's still that, there was still that doubt at that time. You grow into different phases or seasons of life, right? So it was definitely a, a shift and a morph over time to, to step into this area in the way that I have. So you saw some character flaws in yourself that were toxic, that were impacting your relationship with your wife and with your kids. What prompted you to make those changes? I appreciate you being very kind in how you said it. Mm -hmm. I was an absolute jerk. So coming from a point where my parents had told me, you're a mistake, you don't matter, you'll never be of any importance, do anything of value. Coming from that, you can imagine that did not put me in a self-confident or worthy mm. place, right? I had that self-doubt, those negative thoughts. That then fed into me being a cross between Eeyore, where I was very victim mi mindset. I saw everything being done against me, nothing for me. And then I was also on the other side, the Hulk. I was mad because of how things were going. And the results that I got, and I'm like, why can I not catch a break? Why do I see everybody around me living the life that they want? And yet I'm stuck with where I'm at. Those things continue to create like this pattern, this rut almost of mentally, emotionally behaving and reacting a certain way. My wife and I ended up having four children, three daughters, one son. My son put it the best way. He said, you were very authoritarian. I tried to avoid you because I knew if I came around you that I could catch your anger. That is not what any parent wants to impart to their children is, hey, you're not welcome and I'm going to hit you with both barrels, right? Right. So instead of love, I'm creating this distance. And it wasn't just with my children. It was also with my wife because my wife couldn't grow into who she was, what her desires were. Because if I saw her being successful, remember, I'm insecure. That was an intimidation and an affront to who I was. So I was like, you play small because I play small. Not, not very healthy in building somebody up, much less the relationship there. We were on the edge of divorce. I was very distanced from my four children. With the teachings that I had from my childhood, if you fail, if you ask questions, that makes you a failure. You can understand, I wouldn't have come to you, Greg, and gone, hey, I'm struggling with this. How do I get past it? It wasn't until it hit a point of absolute frustration that I finally started asking questions of a couple guys at work. Hey, I see your relationship with your wife and your children is very different from what I have. And that's what I want. How are you going about this? That's a so, big step. That can be a lot of fear to open up and be vulnerable to another guy because you're right. Men don't do that. 
We are taught early on that there's no crying. There's no showing emotion. There's no expressing weakness. We've got to be tough all the time for the people that were the providers, the protectors, the, the supporters of our families. And we can't show any cracks in our own armor. So I applaud you for taking that step. Was it difficult to do that the first time to talk to those folks? It wasn't just the first time. I'd love to tell you, hey, Greg, I got some inspiration and I totally switched. Man, it was intimidating and scary to ask every time. But the thing was, the results I was seeing, it it was different from what I had expected, what I had experienced before. And so I continued to take those steps to just ask. And it was, if you think about the Indiana Jones movie where he steps out into the chasm, he's not sure whether there's anything to catch him. And emotionally, that was exactly what it felt like. It's, oh my gosh, am I going to be rejected by the guys around me for asking these questions? And it's like something my parents should have taught me, but that I as a man should know. When you don't have somebody to teach you, there's no way you're going to know. That's right. You don't even know what questions to ask. Yeah. It's the craziest thing, Greg. If you had ever told me stuff like, Hey, I'm struggling with this, Mike, I would give you grace. I would be compassionate in that position. If I go through the same thing, there was no grace. It was very much a degrading, just really hardcore. You should know this. The way we handle ourselves can is much crueler and harsher than we are with other people. And it's not until I began asking those questions and switching the way that I saw myself and what I was experiencing that I began to really make the traction and see things change at home. So it, it starts with us until we're willing to begin addressing us and not looking at the people around us. When my parents change, I'll change. When my wife's change, wife changes, I'll change. We're giving away that power and it's literally a cop-out. Just, I didn't want to invest the time or the energy. If I try it and I fail, what then? That's right. And there's no guarantee you'd change even if they changed because you uh, weren't motivated to do that. Did, yeah, that's did faith true. play a role in this transformation of yours? It did at at one point, but the thing, the hard thing of that, Greg, was really, I didn't have a relationship with my dad that was healthy. I overlaid that relationship into how I saw God and Christ. And it was like, I don't need another demeaning, angry father. Like I already got one. Thank you. Check the box. Move on. Didn't see God who for who God is. And I was already insecure and I was able to give, I was afraid to give control away. If that makes sense. I was very micromanaging, manipulative. And so one trusting another father, but also giving control and saying, Hey, I'm not the one that's necessarily strong headed in control, doing exactly what I want. That was super, <laughs> just very disconcerting and scary from that point, but it was something that became more prevalent as I went along and it wasn't, none of us are really in control anyways. It's a facade. We can make decisions, but it's, I can't control how you react with me. So I have a certain amount of control, but not everything that I envisioned that I would. 
So yes, it became a bigger portion as I began to heal. But from the beginning, it was a very daunting and undesired thing to have. So there are parents like the ones that you grew up with who were very distant and aloof and not very supportive and encouraging. And then there are parents like I tried to be that were very there for my kids all the time and part of their activities and their lives on a daily basis, except when I was traveling for work, of course. But I was not at all prepared for the empty nest because I had poured all of my energy into my children. So when they were out of that picture, I felt devastated and I didn't expect that feeling. We actually counted down days until my youngest daughter would graduate from high school and I would be free of parental responsibility. But when I was, my life lost meaning. Have you encountered yeah. that? Yeah. And I would say, I don't know that we're ever outside of the parental responsibilities. It's there. It's how we go about it. As my children have become adults, I will, when they bring something to me, I will ask them when I'm clear headed, do you need assistance or, or are you just telling me? And sometimes it's like, they just want to be seen and heard much like we wanted to be when we were at that age. Other times it's, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. At this season where I thought we were going to enter being an empty nester, I'll be honest, Greg, we've got a couple children. They're still like, hey, I'm, and they're focused. They're working hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not, hey, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm not doing anything you're providing for me. It's one that they're working hard. They just need a place to give them a little bit of a break and a lift. The interesting thing has also been at this season, then we also have parents that are needing care. I don't know where this empty nest is. I think it might be in the same place with the unicorn. I'm, I'm not finding it, my friend. But the thing that has been like a huge blessing for my wife and I, because for the last year, the vast majority of it, we were out of state away from our family to help a family member, one of our parents to clean out their house, get everything ready to have it sold and all that. That's yeah, it, it was very challenging and eye-opening, but both from that and then having them in assisted living, Greg, it's been one of the opportunities that we've had to be able to look at it and go, is this where we want our life to be as we continue to go down? I'm 52 right now. I can look at where my parents were and go, no, that is not at all where I want to be. Okay. Do you want to wait till 11th hour? <laughs> and then it's a really big uphill climb. No, absolutely not. I want to enjoy whatever time I have, whether it's six months, six years, or 16 years, whatever spectrum, I want memories to be created with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren. If I want all those things to come about, then I need to take care of myself and continue to look down the path. What am I shooting for? Because I could say, Greg, again, I'm in Wichita, Kansas. I could say, I'm going to head to the beach which beach, which direction I could get there in two days, or I could get there in two weeks, depending upon how much structure and focus I have. Hey, you're going to head out on this freeway, go this distance, take this turn. And by the way, we're going to go to Miami. We're going to go to Newport beach. Having a goal and a direction is so much more powerful than if I just said, I don't want the life that they have. I don't want this knowing our objective 
empowers us to actually achieve it, arrive at that destination, not just some other place that's not here. Is there an ideal age that you find that you're able to help men more easily when they're younger, 20, Mm -hmm. 30s, they need some guidance. But I think it's when we get to 50, when we realize that we have been wrong in so many ways that we need help to get a good start on a better second half. I think there's multiple openings. One is the season of life, like you're talking about, right? When we get to this season, we'll often look and go, I'm not where I wanted to be. And that causes an introspection, looking at ourselves, looking around, how did I end up here? The other thing is, as we're laid off from work can be another position because then Mm -hmm. it's like this identity that we've been married to no longer exists. And so there's that void that says, now what? And we'll be open to looking at it. I think it's more of life, like situations that will cause us to be open to looking for that help, to being open to guidance, because so many times we're looking to do it lone wolf, right? That's what we've had patterned for us. So after we've the difference between being laid off too and being pushed to the sidelines, which we're finding a lot of guys are told that, thank you for your service. It's no longer needed, or they're just delegated with less and less responsibility so that there's fewer and fewer challenges at work and it becomes a drudgery. Yeah. It's often, that's one of the saddest things because You've gone through all these years of experience. You have knowledge that's not gained until that point. And you just keep putting somebody new onto the treadmill. And it's no wonder we keep repeating these same patterns and having the results that don't end up getting a business successfully for where it wants to go. I think it's also one of those that we can, as we're pushed out or retiring, we can look for opportunities for people that are open to hearing what wisdom we have to share because while it may be the majority of people that are like, Hey, thanks for your time. Thanks for your, your work. There are those people that are like going, Hey, I don't get this. When you find those, that is a place that not only will you see who you're helping flourish, but you will too, because now you have that purpose that it's like, Oh, I was pushed off to the side. I don't have a reason to get up Monday through Friday. Now I do. And I'm wanted and I'm valued. Oh my gosh. That is such a game changer and what we're all looking for, but it does require somewhat of a treasure hunt, so to speak. Right. Purpose is very important, but you also need to surround yourself with a supportive community in order to see that purpose. Otherwise, you might have a purpose and you feel strongly motivated to do something. But if the people that are in your community aren't motivated as well, they'll drag you down and suck that life right out of you. That is so true. I wish we would heed that kind of wisdom more often because I don't know about you, Greg, there have been times where I've hung around the frat boys Mm -hmm. or the misery loves company crew. (laughs) No, thanks. I don't need to be reinforced that. Hey, life stinks. This is hard. Okay, great. I'm living it. I don't need that reinforcement. I also don't need, hey, let's go medicate 
rape alcohol and get drunk and forget where we're at. No, thanks. I need healthy people around me that are going, hey, I want more. And that can call me out in a healthy, caring manner that aren't just blatant and going, hey, you're an idiot. Thanks. I already have those messages that I had to get rid of. I need the people that are going, hey, Mike, I saw the way you treated your wife. I saw the way you interacted with your children. This is the way I felt when you and I were talking earlier in this crowd. Are you aware of this? There's still things that I'm blind to. Mm -hmm. I need people that are going to continue to be in that growth process with me that understand, hey, I need you to step up to the uncomfortable place with me because as, as awkward as it is to speak those words, it's just as awkward to be on this side receiving them, but putting us ourselves in that vulnerable position to receive that and then act upon it or at least process through it, it it's a game changer. That is what helps us to elevate our game and, and go from the base of Everest up the, the side of the mountain to get to the peak is people along with us who are willing to speak into our life and actually see us for who we are. Yeah, like you said, community makes a big difference. How do you bring about transformation in the lives of men? What do you mean by that one? When you're coaching them, what kinds of processes or things do you lead them to? Do you help them oh. identify something that they can be passionately purposeful about pursuing? Or do you have to break some lies that they've believed in themselves for many years first? I think the two go hand in hand. It depends on the person. And understand as you as you go along, you're going to discover the lies that you've believed. But it's being able to let go of what you believe now to go back and see, hey, this is what I used to see. Because a lot of us can set our dreams aside and just say, I'm never going to achieve it. That's not for me. It's not until you look and go, who was I during these different seasons? Who do I see myself as when it really gets me fired up? Painting that picture of value of your purpose, of just who you can be, both men and women, to say, this is my true self. Mm -hmm. If you picture like just jail bars around you, that identity prison can keep us trapped if we allow it to, and we'll never really discover who we truly could be doing the work to say, this is what I want. This is what I feel is holding me back to then ask yourself, am I willing to do the work to put myself in the place that I want to be and not where I'm at now? And if I don't, what's it going to look like? What's it going to cost me? There's always a cost to taking action or not taking action, but it's the reward what you want, because I don't think any of us really want to get to the end of our life and go, I have this litany of re regrets that I'm surrounded by and I played small, so I never achieved this. And you know that you could have, but you were afraid. I envisioned myself, Greg, I thought I was going to be in an apartment, totally dark with a TV on. I'm sitting in a chair, isolated and alone. That's not what any of us have to have. There are so many options, but it's, it, we have the power to make the decision and take the action. And we often just get scared. What if it doesn't 
turn out the way I want. That's right. So many men will say they're fine when in fact they're not. And to get them to admit that they need other people or that they need purpose in their life, that's a vital first step that men need to take. And helping them get to that point is an important thing for you to be able to provide for them. I like your analogy that men need a stocked refrigerator, a freezer, (laughs) and a pantry. Why don't you explain what that means? So this goes back to part of my childhood experience. So you'll remember I talked about being in control. That was a big thing for my mom. And so my brother and I grew up with a chain and a lock on the fridge. We could never get to the food. So as an adult, that experience had an impact on my decision-making and behaviors that I never realized, Greg. Not until I began to heal did I understand, hey, there's food in the fridge and the freezer. And even in this upright freezer, we ended up having meat in a freezer for five years, Greg. I don't know about you, but that is not what I want to be throwing on the grill and eating is five-year-old steak. (laughs) But gave me a sense of security because of what I had experienced earlier on in life. Mm -hmm. So as an adult, I'm putting food in a freezer that I'm not intending to eat. It's just there as a security blanket. And so our experiences will drive how we respond. It's no different than when we first had kids, my wife and I, we had our oldest and then we had a set of twin girls. Greg, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. And so when a utility truck would drive up, I was so accustomed to the electricity or the gas or whatever the utility was being shut off, just became ingrained in me. Utility truck, utilities off. To the point I was much further down the road that it was one of those utility truck, run to the computer, see if I paid the bill. <laughs> and it's, this is not a healthy association. They're just out there looking at the meter. A pastor but that those I kind follow of... says that without provision, it's hard to have vision. And I think that's what you're talking about right there. Yeah. My vision, my focus was definitely on the past of what I experienced and trying to protect myself. When things are going on and you're acting a certain way, One of the best things that I've experienced and seen other men do as well is looking to see where that has come from, because that's a tether, like an anchor back to our past. And it doesn't just impact our personal life. It's going to impact our business decisions, what we do at work, relationships, everything else. It's an anchor to our past for something that set our perspective for today and the future. I think a number of men are haunted by discouragement, loneliness, and depression. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Is there anything that they can do to come out of that? Or what would, what steps would they have to take to finally address those problems in their lives? I honestly, I would say, Greg, we have hit on those, but just in a different way. As we're in community and relation, that loneliness and isolation is lessened as long as we're willing to step in. And oftentimes it's going to mean us being the one that steps out and is proactive, but it's like being isolated is often something we don't want, but we foster that kind of environment by the decisions and actions we take. I would agree with that. 
Yeah. When I was investing 14 hours a day and playing video games to find my worth, Greg, I wanted to be with people, but I didn't want to get away from the game, which gave me I, my identity. And so it's like this dichotomy where <laughs> you're going to stay with your addiction more than you will with what's healthy. That's right. And the video games also give you a sense of purpose in your mind. It, I got to get to the next level or I got to beat this guy or whatever the case might be. And it's yeah. just purpose always involves other people and helping and serving them. So that's a good point too. And that, like you asked about as far as depression, when we understand our purpose and have a reason for moving forward and being invested in stuff, that often offsets the depression because it's one of those, if I don't have anything worthwhile in doing, nobody wants me. It's those lies that we're told and believe because of where we're at and the actions we're taking. Once we change that, we have a purpose that's getting us out to get away from the video games or the TV or whatever else that's occupying us that's not engaged with other people. Man, that purpose, our values will get us to a different point. Does it come overnight? No. Does sometimes it require going to a clinician? Like as far as getting some therapy to talk to somebody, yeah, it can. Can it require medication? Yeah, you may need a boost there. Or Is diet. Is it something you can, go ahead. Or diet. Yeah. You're eating I the mean, wrong foods, yeah. Oh my gosh, lack of sleep. That was one. I, I honestly thought I was getting four hours of sleep a night, Greg. I was invested and that was my identity and badge of courage. That put me in, a, in an unhealthy place that I am still working to reclaim my health because of what I did to my body. You may not notice it over one, one night, two nights, a couple weeks, months. When you do that for years and you're living that way, it's almost like, like the water that we've seen erosion in the Grand Canyon, right? That's right. Over time, it's going to have impact a couple times here and there where it's the exception to the rule. Okay. Normal routine. Grand Canyon in your life. <laughs> Tell us a bit about your podcast and what kinds of things you talk about in that. Uh, yeah. So with Living Fearless Today, it's one where as a host, I invite other men who have gone through various challenges, could be financial, could be addiction, fear, anxiety, depression, any of those things that we can face that the goal being, I want to highlight a man who has faced a challenge that other of us have experienced or are experiencing because too often we think it's just me. There's nobody in the world who can relate to my experience. I'm the only one that's going through this financial situation that I can't pay my bills. Man, it could be your neighbor. It could be somebody five houses down from you. It could be a coworker. There are other people going through that same situation. Mm -hmm. And when we put light on it, that yes, here's another man that went through it, it can lift us up to have hope. I can get out of this pit that I'm currently in and find a different opportunity because other men have walked it, they've overcome it, and now they're in a different place. And it's no different than if we did, uh, what are those multi-hurdle races like the Tough Mudder, mm -hmm. right? You get to those walls. What do you do? You put your hand down as, Hey, Greg, I need a hand up. Can you get me up the wall? Together we can get over those hurdles. And it's often just seeing somebody that's there. And so that's 
the vision and the desire to come out of Living Fearless today is helping other men see they're not alone and there is a way out. If you had to start over, is there anything you would do differently? In what area? Just about life, or especially after you're over 50. Over 50? I feel like this is the best part of my life, man. I have never been more excited or engaged in life and my the lives around me, friends and family, than I have been now, which it, it just makes me so excited that it's like, can I get an, an extended time frame on this, please? I would say that it was playing small for as long as I did, believing the lies that I did and doing it alone um, without the purpose and the value, because I think it, I, I know that I could have changed the trajectory. And when I look back, it's like one of the things that still hurts is that I hurt my children because of where I was personally. Now, have they forgiven me? Yes. Thank goodness. That's a huge win and I'm very grateful for it. I would rather, if given the choice, not have put them through that situation. But at this point in life at being 50, I'm very grateful for where I am, what's before me, and the fact that things have, have changed and I'm not alone in it. So that's excellent. Do you have any advice for people who are over 50 who might be struggling to identify a purpose for their life or something to pursue? If you're looking for the purpose, I would say, look at what you have done and what charges you, right? Those things that bring that spark of excitement and energy that we've just hidden, we've buried. Ask friends, hey, where have you seen that you're like, hey, this brings you alive. This comes easy to you. You enjoy doing this. Often it's right in front of us, but we've got these blinders on because we've just become so accustomed to it. And we really diminish the value of what we're gifted in versus what other people have because we're going, I want what Greg has rather than, hey, this just comes easy. Nah, it's nothing. No, what comes easy is where you're gifted. And when you align your values and your purpose with that, you will see huge, just life-changing kind of results both around you and within you. And anything that we're expecting to have larger results outside, we need to do that investment internally, both emotionally and mentally to bring about that kind of change outside. It doesn't come from outside in, it comes from inside out because if we're content, happy, fulfilled, vibrant, that's going to play out. So I would say find your purpose, start working on it, and then ask people into your life that are going to help you to live it out and really bolster your purpose and how you're going about it. That's excellent advice, Mike. I really appreciate that. Yeah, how can people connect with you if they wanted to speak with you or tap into your coaching services? <laughs> sure. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can go to any of the podcast directories, Apple, Spotify, anything along those lines, you'll find the Living Fearless Today podcast there. If you want to reach out and connect with me, highcoachmike.com. So hi as if see me through the camera, I'm waving at you hi. H-I-C-O-A-C-H-M-I-K-E and dot com just reach out connect i would love to have a conversation just to say where are you at where do you want to go because so often that's what we need is that first step to then continue making 
the steps afterwards and get a, ourselves out of the pit that we're currently feeling we're in. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate your sharing your story and your advice with us, and I wish you the best of luck going forward. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate Mike Forrester for opening up to share his raw, authentic story with us today. I was especially impressed with Mike's realization his life could be much different post-50. After helping a parent transition into assisted living, Mike and his wife evaluated their own lives to determine they did not want to be in the same situation a few years later. They wanted to create some memories now while they were still young enough to do so. That required the couple to make very specific plans regarding what they wanted to do and where they wanted to wind up rather than allowing fate to determine their course. Too many people, especially men, realize way too late that they wound up in situations they didn't want to be in. Consequently, they need help in order to get a good start on a better second half for their lives. It is essential that men and women look for opportunities where they can put their wisdom and experience to good use. Mike noted there are organizations and people who are desperately looking for what seasoned citizens can offer them. Finding those people and opportunities takes a bit of work, but everyone flourishes once the connection takes place. He likened the situation to sports, where younger, inexperienced teams need the wisdom, experience, and perspective that only comes through aging. Nor do seasoned citizens need to be isolated away from society without a meaningful purpose for their lives. Who they associate with has a major impact on their well-being and hope for a better future. I thought the most profound thing Mike said was that he would rather have a supportive relationship with one man who is willing to speak into his life and who saw what Mike was capable of becoming than an entire group of drinking buddies who didn't want him to succeed because he would make them look bad by comparison. Although many men are daunted by discouragement, loneliness, and depression, Mike said there is an antidote which works rather quickly. That is to step out and be productive by actively seeking ways to make a difference. When people understand their purpose and have a reason for moving forward to do the things which bring them joy, that often offsets any depression they may experience. Mike was also absolutely correct in noting that you do not want to get to the end of your life with a litany of regrets because you chose to play small. It's especially horrifying to realize you could have had everything you dreamed of enjoying, but only if you had decided to take action. People can connect with Mike or listen to his Fearless Living Today podcast by visiting www.highcoachmike.com. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward From 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you like the show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.